Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. I'm Edward Schuler, joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how you doing today, man? I'm good, Ed. Uh, honestly, I'm just really excited about our, our episode today. We have a really amazing guest on, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, but I'm good overall. How are you? I'm doing great. And yeah, we have a really special guest on Bulls Gold today. He played in the NBA for eight seasons, drafted in 2006 by the Utah Jazz in the lottery most notably played for the Chicago Bulls for two seasons on that 2010-11 team. NBA shooting guard Ronnie Brewer. Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Hey, thank y'all for having me. I'm really glad to be a part uh, to speak with you guys tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. And Ronnie, we've been we've been talking so much this offseason about uh, just like the young players on this team and and the draft player and like in the NBA draft. And we wanted to get your uh, your take on your experience. So when you came into the league in 2006 yeah. and when you were working out for teams, do you remember what your draft process was like and in terms of like the workouts and you yeah. know, figuring out where you were going to be going on draft night? And on a side note, did you also do you also remember working out for the Bulls during that draft process? Uh, I do remember working out for the Bulls. Um, during this process, uh, my process was a little different. Uh, my dad played in the NBA for eight years. And so whenever I was going to work out for these teams, my dad was traveling with me. And, you know, some teams gave him access where he could watch either, you know, um, like on the sideline or up away. Um, cause he, I mean, he, he had relationships with a lot of different, um, organizations, uh, first off. So, um, when I went to go work out in Chicago, he was able to go there and, you know, he knew Gar and he knew, um, Pax and, um, he knew Pete Myers. Um, you know, Pete Myers played at University of Little Rock, um, which is here in Arkansas. So, um, there was, there was a lot of people that, um, uh, kind of connected in some type of way in the basketball world. Um, you know, just my processes, it was similar to what everybody else is doing. You, you have a bunch of workouts. You try to match up against guys that are in the same vicinity that you might be projected to get drafted at. And, you know, some guys, you know, dug the smoke. Other guys want all the smoke. And, um, you know, as a competitor, you know, I just wanted to compete. You know, I, I my, my kind of claim to fame in the NBA is that I was – I played hard as I possibly can and I defended my butt off – night in night out and so these individual workouts you know it was it was was just like just just another day because you know you're just competing at a high level and so um uh 
to me now, I kind of went into the process kind of blindly. I didn't know what to expect. I knew what my dad was telling me, but he, he went in the draft and, you know, the seventies, you know, I was, I went in 2006. So the process was a little different. Uh, the travel was a lot better. The hotels were a lot better, but the work was the same. And so, um, you know, it was a great experience and, you know, be able to get invited to the NBA draft and, uh, at Madison Square Garden, uh, in the green room was kind of a dream come true. Um, and hearing my name called, uh, you know, and made it all worth, worth the while. In relation to that, is there a certain workout that stuck out to you the most, like a team that you worked out for that was just like, man, this was, this was like completely different. Well, these other the Boston Celtics workout, um, they do the infamous like three minute run after your workout. So you're playing, you're playing one-on-one, two-on-two, um, spot shots, getting up and down and you're, you know, after the, obviously you're trying to put your best foot forward because, you know, you only have one first impression. So, uh, you're leaving it all on the floor. And then at the end of the workout, you know, their strength and conditioning coach comes out and says, Hey, we're going to do the three minute, uh, run. And obviously you don't want to have the stigma of, Hey man, this guy's lazy or this guy doesn't work. And so you, you then have to, you know, dig deep down inside and find some extra strength to, to compete that three minute, um, run. So that was really, really tough, but all the other ones are pretty cool. They were very, very competitive. Uh, Miami has a pretty tough one. Um, and then like Utah was just tough and Denver's tough because the, the elevation and altitude, uh, is hard to breathe. But, you know, whenever you're going against like other dogs, you know, it's, it's, high level competition. And so right. depending on who you worked out with in your little group, you know, the, 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 the individuals got pretty competitive. So when you got the draft night, did you have a, like a really strong feeling that you were going to Utah or like what teams did you feel <laughs> were going to be in the mix the most for you? Uh, it's so funny because there's been so many rumors like, oh man, he wore like a like a light blue suit because he's he knew he knew he was going to the Utah Jazz and that's the color of the jerseys and and to be honest, like I had no idea. I knew the range I was going in. Um and you know, the night of the draft, when you hear these names being called and and you know, you go you have a rundown with your agent, like, yo, this guy's supposed to go here and this guy's supposed to go here, and so you're gonna go in this range. Like when guys started slipping and falling a little bit and guys were getting picked that weren't supposed to be getting picked, it was kind of like an oh shoot moment. Like, oh, well, I don't really know where I'm going from here on out. You know, it's kind of in God's hands. But um, and I was very happy to to hear my name called with the 14th pick to Utah. Uh, I think it was just by the grace of God that I wore that light blue suit to match the my <laughs> Utah Jazz hat and the basketball for all the photo shoots that we had. And you know, my biggest thing that night was whatever team I got picked to, I didn't want the crowd to boo me because if you ever watch the draft, it's a pretty rowdy, you know, New York fan base. Mm-hmm. And if you're not the pick that they want going to the Knicks or the Nets um, or even some other fan bases, they, they usually push the boo button. Um, and so, you know, hearing the ovation and having that, that weight off your shoulders, you know, was a, a – a, a huge breath of fresh air because, you know, as anybody knows, you, you, you've seen those horror stories where guys in the NFL are projected at a certain pick and they don't get picked and they're showing the camera on them all night. The same thing at the NBA, you know, you, there's so many guys that are, you got butterflies and their stomachs are in knots because they don't know where they're going. They know that the range, but once that range comes and their name's not called, it's kind of like a, 
what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very happy to get picked at the 14th pick. 100%. So, yeah, you get into the league, and obviously you, in your time you played for a lot of good coaches. Uh, but the two that stick out, at least to us, are Jerry Sloan and Tom Thibodeau. Uh, obviously, Jerry Sloan, a Hall of Famer. Um, Tom Thibodeau, known mm-hmm. to be a very, um, very great coach. Uh, one of the quickest to, like, well, as far as winning uh, percentages concerned to a certain level. But the Bulls, he had a lot of great seasons. Um, what were, would you say, like, the similar, like, playing? What was it like playing mm-hmm. for those two coaches? Uh, as far as yeah. the similarities and then also what were like some of the differences you think? Uh, well, the similarities I think was both those guys were like, they didn't really take a lot of crap. Okay? They they weren't going to sugarcoat anything. They were going to cut right to the, they, they were going to get right to the chase and be like, Hey man, this is, this is my blueprint of success. And you know, the reason why I think I, I thrived and, and I got a, um, along with those coaches so much is they knew that with me that I was going to bring my hard hat and my lunch pill to work every day. And I was going to leave it all on the court each and every day. Um, and I think I garnered each and both those guys respect because um, they care themselves with a, a, a true sense of professionalism that, you know, they want guys to practice hard because that's how they were raised is you don't take days off. You don't, you know, sit out for rest recovery that, you, you 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 turn into a true pro and you treat your body like a temple and you stay in the training room to recover so you can get out there for practice and, 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 and to play games because, you know, the ultimate goal is to try to win. And a lot of people are like, well, they, they haven't won an NBA championship as a head coach and whatever. But like, if you really look at their statistics, they're, they're, they're winners. They've always been winners. Right. And they find a way to maximize the potential out of each and every player. Um, you know, if it's a, you know, if it's the 13th guy on, on, on the roster practicing at a high level to make everybody else around them and make the locker room culture, uh, at an elite level, like you don't, you don't win, you don't win, you don't win, uh, repetitively for a long period of time, like those guys have done, um, without having a skill set. Those guys had a skill set where they can reach deep down inside of you and and wring out every ounce of effort that you could possibly can that you can do. Because at the end of the day, there's so many talented guys in the NBA. Um but a lot of the times in the game, um it's effort plays. It's 50-50 balls. It's sliding over, taking a charge, it's diving on the floor for a loose ball. It's making an extra pass. It's after a turnover, sprinting down the floor and getting back on defense hard every single time, not sometimes, but every single time it's blocking your man out and going to get a rebound. I didn't say scoring 30 points a game or 10 assists or 10 rebounds or 10 blocks. Those are skill sets. You, you, you have to be skilled to be able to, to do those things. Like taking a charge it takes no talent, you know, uh, diving for a loose ball. Like, it takes no talent, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, Talking on defense, calling out screens, calling out coverages, it takes no talent. It's, it's it's more of an effort thing. And those guys force you to be effort guys and exude all the energy you possibly can to be the best energy guy and the best teammate you could possibly be. And that's why those guys are very similar. They're different just because their ages are different. You know, Coach Sloan was more of a, you know, he's brought up in the 
Hey, we're going to out tough you. Like we're going to, we're going to beat you down and, and intimidate you. And we're going to run the same stuff and run you off of pick and rolls and run off of, off of red double screens. And, um, but then we're going to also defend at a high level. Tibbs is just like, Hey, I'm gonna make you play hard. Like, I don't, uh, you don't have to be, you don't have to be the toughest person to fight, but you have to have some fight in you. Like you're going to have to play hard. Um, and you know, they, to me, we found different ways to get it out of you. Like Sloan, you know, he, he, he found the way to yell at you, but praise you in the same breath. When you were doing wrong, he's going to let you know and coach you every possession. And when you're doing right, he's going to let you know. Um, and you're going to know that, that he appreciates what you're doing. And Tibbs is the same way. Like people, to me, I think a lot of times Tibbs gets to shorten the stick because uh, how he left Chicago, you know, to me, he should have got back-to-back coach of the years, the years I was there. You know, the, the first year we were number one in the East, second year we were number one in the East, without a lot of our roster. Like, right. we, we were banged up, showing that it was 100% coaching. Like it was it was 100% coaching because we were banged up, um, and we still won a lot of games. And a lot of people criticized him because he was like, oh, you're making a practice too hard. Well, to me, that's the least that we can do. I mean, we, basketball players, we get paid a lot of money. Um, but we still have, at least in Chicago, we've had sellout games. That's people's hard-earned money that they're spending to go watch a game. The least you can do is you can play and you can play hard as you possibly can. And that's what Tibbs basically was like, man, these we've got hardworking blue-collar workers and families coming to our games to support the Chicago Bulls. The least you could do is practice. The least you do is dress out. And the least you could do is play. And I, and to me, you know, he got the most out of us. And I think that he always gets the short in the stick and should got have gotten two Coach of the Year awards. So you were a quick, okay. sorry. A quick question about Ted. So I, I remember a lot of times like watching him on the sideline, and he'd get really intense. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I remember him like really getting into you guys. Like each individual play of them, a mistake was made uh-huh. defensively, and he would just absolutely like like tongue lash uh-huh. you in the sense. How did like as players? How did that like? How did that roll off your back and then you just get back in the game? And then obviously you mentioned after the fact that you're, you take that verbal, you know, screaming or whatever have you, and then you're right back into like, take you right back under the wings. Like, how does that affect you as a player and that you're able to just take it and then just bounce back as that relationship or, or make that relationship work? As a, as a competitor and as an athlete, you know, when you step between those lines, you know, all the rules are, 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 are out the back door. You roll your sleeves up and it's, it's, it's a battle. And so with that being said, sometimes you wear your emotions on your, on your sleeves and, you know, Tibbs coaches every possession like it's his last. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Like he wants perfection on each possession and, he wants you to have that attention to detail to make it matter and care that that much. Like people could say, Oh, we had D Rose. He was a superstar youngest MVP or Lou Ding or booze um, or Joe Kim Noah. But if people remember like our second unit, the bench mob, we were the number one unit mm-hmm. in the NBA. Right. Like our attention to detail was so at such a heightened level. Like, like I was mad at myself if if I didn't have C.J. Watson's back 
or I didn't dig in to help Taj Gibson or Merritt Seek when their guys got the ball in the post. Or, you know, if, if my man beat me to the basket, if, if Taj or Amir or, or Lou or whoever was in the game didn't have my back, and we get on to each other. So Tibbs yelling at us, I mean, that was, that was water under the bridge because we knew the level of perfection he wanted because we saw it in practice. Like I always tell this story all the time that, you know, there was a time when coach Tibbs, I mean, just ripped me in front of everybody. Um, like after the game and then the next day of practice, we have this, we had a, uh, a TV that was right on the court that we used to watch film. And then he made me watch my film session with our position coach, coach Adrian Griffin. So I had to watch film three different times over play that we still won the game. The play didn't beat us, but I wasn't on the helpline. I, I wasn't, it wouldn't split me down the middle and I was kind of cheating the play. Um, Cause I was guarding somebody who was good. And so I had, you know, my one foot on the, the helpline and cheat more to my guy and not buying into team defense first. And in my head, I'm like, man, that don't even matter. Like my guy didn't get the ball. They didn't throw it to the, the, the roller. So I don't understand why you're, you're tripping about it. Well, he harped, 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 harped on it like like it was the NBA championship. Like, man, that's going to cost us a game. That's going to cost us a game. That's going to cost us a game. And how are you going to feel if, if that play that you shortcutted costs us a game? Um, you know, fast forward, you know, a couple games later, I ended up getting a steal, being on the helpline, um, which led to a fast break, which ended up winning. You know, Tibbs told me I was the play of the game and game ball and all this other stuff. And, you know, again, I wasn't the MVP. I wasn't the all-star and like that. We had guys that had phenomenal games. You know, D-Rose, Luau, Booze, Joe Keem, all those guys were deserving of a game ball or, or to be recognized by Tibbs. But he took the emphasis to say, hey, man, these small details matter and they and they help you win. Um, and so him yelling at us, like, we knew why he was yelling at us because we knew the practices we have, the blood, sweat, and tears that we had together as fa- a family, and you know, in the games, like when we were, when it wasn't coming together, we knew that we were dragging, and so that we, we might needed a kick in the butt, and that's what he was just trying to do. It was all love. Appreciate that. Yeah, I was curious about that because there's always a argument about the type of coaches like a player's coach versus a coach that's more stern and more hard nosed. And, you know, every, everyone has a disagreement on how you should be as a coach. But I was always just curious, like where your thoughts on when that would happen with Tibbs and and your reaction to the way he would just come at you guys. So that's just interesting. To yeah. Hear I mean, it's, sure. it's, it's funny because, you know, I got it from Jerry Sloan you know, he, he coached like that. He would get on you pretty tough, but you know, it's, it is what it is. And I got it from Tibbs quite a, quite a, a bit with our team. Um, and I, and I now work for a coach is, is the exact same way with coach Eric Musselman, um, in the exact same way. And so, you know, I'm trying to transition and tell our student athletes like, Hey, you know, you, you take it with a grain of salt, you hear it, you digest it, but you don't let it harp on you. You don't let it sit on you for a while because it'll affect how you play. Um, and he's only all the coaches are only doing that because they see something in you, they see potential in you, and they want you to reach your full potential. So, so going back to like everything you talked about, because you talked a lot about the culture that that Bulls team had that becomes that became such a big story during that season. 
And, yeah. you know, we know Derrick Rose becoming an MVP was such a big part of the success of that team. But is there a moment that you experienced that season where it, it just became apparent that the the switch had just flipped on the team and the ceiling had just increased significantly because the team went from, I think they were like nine and eight, right? And the first yeah. 17 games and then had the best record in the league. So it's just, you don't see things like that every day. So is there a moment? Well, you remember? well guys, guys, you, you got to understand our slow start. You, you had Kyle Culver, myself and booze from Utah. Mm-hmm. And the only people that you really had from the team prior to that year um, was James Johnson, who ended up getting traded um, with a phenomenal young talent. Uh, you had Lou Alding, you had Taj Gibson, Joe Kim Noah, Derrick Rose, and that's it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any other returners. Everybody else, we picked them in free agents. So we were all trying to gel and mesh together quickly. Um, you know, if it was going to the movies, it was going out to eat, if it was going bowling, if it was just, you know, staying after practice, just talking, getting to know people, you know. But when we did get it right, you know, you could tell. Um, I remember we used to do this little, it, it wasn't a, a game. It was kind of a game, but not really. Um, you know, Tibbs used to do this, try to play this uh, mind game with D. Rose. And D. Rose is such a quiet, you know, quiet, kept to himself guy. His head, he's have his headphones on. And I caught on to what Tips was doing one day. It was like, she was talking to one of the other coaches. It's like, oh, man, like Rondo. Rondo's out there. He looks good. He's out there. You know, he, he's walking down shots. He was you know, in his bag. He, he was, he's really amped to go about the game. You know, and then he might go the next game. Oh, Chris Paul, you know, like, you know, he's locked in. He's, 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 he's ready to go or like Darren Williams. And, uh, I mean, you could just go down the list of high, high, high major name guys. Um, and so one day I, I played the game with Tibbs. It's like, yeah, Tibbs, I'm all by, I'm all by Rondo. And he was talking crap. He was talking about he was going to bust D Rose, but like, that's crazy. I was like, and I, I would make up a story like, yo, yo, me and Rondo played against each other. Well, we, that was just not, not, not made up. Like, me and Rondo did play against each other in college. And I would say that to other people, like, where we played against each other and while we were talking. So it wouldn't be like, oh, you're talking to a stranger. But me and him didn't talk before the game. I was just saying that, and it, it would light a fire on D-Rose. And we saw D-Rose take over a game, and we're like, oh. So he's about to lead us to the promised land. And so we matched his energy. He wasn't a crazy, crazy, crazy vocal leader, but when he did speak, you know, we we got he got his point across. And same thing with Joe King, same thing with Luau, same thing with Booze. Like we knew that we had to carry our end of the stick, or you know, we weren't being accountable. And that's from every person on that's the the number one person on the team to the person on the bench. The person on the bench was working just as hard as D Rose was working, and you had to respect it because you're like, okay, well, he's not getting much time, but Brian Scalabrini is is getting up shots, like the first one in the gym, getting up shots, first one in the weight room. Like he's doing all these things. So it's like, who am I not to do these same things? Like Brian Scalabrini was like an All-American. He's got a championship ring. Like 
Like that means something to me at least. And so when we were coming to practice, it's like, man, like who are we not to do and go the extra mile? Like what, what, what makes us better than the next person? And I think that's kind of when we turn that corner, cause it's like, and if everybody's working at a high level, like we have no other choice to get better. If everybody's doing their job at a high level and they know their role and they're trying to be the best person they possibly can be in their role. And there's no any outside noise, like no agents are like, Oh, you're not getting this. You're not getting that. Like we put that to the side. It wasn't any like girlfriends or wives or baby mamas or family members, like, like tainting, like what we were trying to do. Everybody, we all knew what our goal was. Um, and so, you know, once everybody recognized that, like it became something really, really special and, and our mindset changed. Our mindset went through, we don't think anybody can really beat us like that. Like, you know, that year, we, I mean, we, 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 we beat the heat like four games to zero in the regular season. Obviously they beat us in the, in the playoffs, but like we were confident, like yeah, we, we, we think we can beat these guys. If we pass the basketball, share the basketball, defend, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have a chance. And, um, you know, that's kind of where it was at. It, in relation to Duros, because obviously you talk about he was very quiet. He didn't, he wasn't very like vocal about his even at his game. Like you know, you you would make a great play. It would just be stone cold face. Get back on uh, defense. Um, were you guys surprised as the rest of us were when he started out that season at the in the media day and said, "Why can't I be MVP?" Like did that shock the rest of you guys too, or that did you see that coming? Like yeah, that's no because, because he was quiet to the media. He wasn't quiet around us. Okay. Like when people were like, "Oh, he's quiet. He's 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 got this layer around." It's like, man, you you you're not really around poo like that. Like dude has a crazy funny personality that you want to gravitate around. Like he's a phenomenal person. And so like hearing the media's take on who he is as a person, when nobody really knows who he is as a person because they don't spend as much time as his family or his teammates do. It's kind of like, well, they're saying he's not much of a leader. Well, no, he, he, he has other ways of leading. Like he doesn't have to go in the media and say, I'm, I'm the leader. Like he's in our huddle. He's telling us, Hey, this is what we need to do. We're going to do this. We're going to go ready. Break this go. Or, hey, man, just give me the basketball. He can't guard me. I'm going to take over. And then he hits 12 points in a row. Okay, that's him leading us to the promised land. And so, like, him saying, I'm a, like, I think, why, why, like, why why not me? Like, we saw the work that he was putting in. And it's like, well, okay, if he's not going to be the MVP, he's going to be pretty dang close because, like, what made me play so hard was, and it reminds me of the, the situation I am now. Like Chicago is so dear to his heart. He wants to win so bad for Chicago because that's where he's from. And every right. day he can go throughout the city and, and somebody looks up to him and be like, Hey man, you, you brought Chicago basketball back. And, and to me, like here, like I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas, went to Fayetteville high school, went to the university of Arkansas, which is in Fayetteville and now coaching at the university of Arkansas. Like you want to put on for your city so bad and you want your city to win. You know, you want them to experience what you felt the time when they like D Rose might be be young, but he can remember when the Bulls were really, really good. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if, even if it's like a little bit before it's like he can like it was still fresh to the city when Jordan had won. Mm-hmm. And so 
Like seeing how much love he had for Chicago, how much he put into the game so the game could give it back to him for the city of Chicago. Um, it, it, it made everybody on our team want it that much more, not just for D Rose, but for the city of Chicago. Um, and, and I truly mean that because like I wasn't, I wasn't in Chicago during the Jordan and Pippen era. I, you know, I just saw it on TV, but I was there when we were there rocking in 2010 and fans coming up to us, no matter where we are, if it was dinner, gas station, you know, I was at the aquarium with my daughter um, and, you know, fans come, I haven't been this happy since Jordan and Pippen. Like y'all have a legit chance to, to make a run. Like, you know, we're so excited. The city's buzzing. Like D Rose did that. And, and to me, like he deserves all the credit. He, he was a phenomenal leader. Um, and it does not surprise me when he said, why not me? Why can I not be the MVP? And then went out and won it. So what like a, so, I mean, you talked about just how the city was buzzing and, you know, a lot of fans to this day, we still look at that season as the best, like post Jordan season in Mm -hmm. history and just one of the best seasons in general, just an all time season that brought so many vibes back. And none of us really thought that that was on the horizon when the season started. So like, Take take us back before the season started when you were a free agent, mm-hmm. like the memorable free agency of 2010 with so <laughs> much going on and so many teams uh, trying yeah. to use free agency to become a championship contender. What ended up yeah. drawing you to Chicago? Like, what was your free agency like? It's kind of funny. Um, did you say that, though? Uh, my agent was, uh, rest in pieces, was, was Hank Thomas out of Chicago. Represented Mike Finley, Tim Hardaway, uh, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Sean Livingston, uh, Udonis Haslam, uh, D Brown, Denim, Denim Brown, myself. You know, it's a lot to just to that, that he that he uh, was the agent for. But I remember being around him and him representing Chris Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam, and 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 being in the car with them and hear him negotiating like, Oh, LeBron is LeBron. I was like, hold on a second. LeBron is thinking about going, doing what? And, and like hearing him like saying that all those guys are going to be in Miami. And I was like, there's no way all of them are going to be in Miami. Uh, and then it, it, it happened. And, um, I just remember like my, my thought process was I'm not worried about what other people are doing. Um, I'm going to try to be in the best situation for me. Um, and then two of my former teammates gave me a call and was like, the first one was booze. Booze was like, dude, we, we had such a good combination where, you know, you throwing the ball inside and cutting to the basket. I'm dropping it to you for easy layups or, you know, you kicking it to me for easy play, uh, easy points. And, you know, we have a good pick and roll. And I was like, not as good as him and D, D, D will, but he know I knew where his sweet spots were and um, that he had just reached out to Kyle Corver because, you know, Chicago needed to shooter and that, that he felt like I could be an elite defender that I could be of, of value. And, you know, the, you know, talk to coach Tibbs. He could be a, you know, he's a great coach. You just got to get to know him. Um, and I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know booze. Like, you know, I love you and all, but you know, got to do what's best for me. 
hang on the phone with him. And then Kyle Cora calls me. He's like, dude, why not? I, I talked to Booz earlier. Uh, I just texted me, said he's on the phone with you, but I'm about to call you. Like, you need to come to Chicago. Like, it's like, uh, it'd be like we were just in Utah. Like, you know, we, we know each other's games and we thrived out there and, and won a lot of games in Utah. We could do the same thing um, in Chicago. And so, when all was said and done, like I, I went out there and visited Chicago, met with the front office, you know, gave, they gave me a rundown of, of the roster and, and Tibbs basically told me like what his vision of how he saw me. And, uh, you know, my agent was like, yeah, I just think this is a good opportunity for you. And he's like, or you can go to Miami. And I was like, nah, I don't want to go to Miami. Like LeBron's there and D, D Wade, they got all these dudes. Um, I was like, I, I want to play against like the best guys. I want to, I want to compete. Um, but in the ultimately sign of Chicago, and I went out there to go visit it, man. There's, there's, there's people out there like, I don't know if they put it in the paper or said on the radio, but it was tons of people I, left and right. People were like, Oh man, you know, Ronnie Brewer, you know, love for you to be a bull. And, you know, to me getting that love before I even made one basket for Chicago was super cool. Um, and, and, and made my experience after I did sign one of the best decisions of my life, just because Chicago is one of the best sports cities in the United States. When you got rolling, there's no, there's no better fan base. When we had the United Center jumping, like it was crazy. I mean, and and like I said, every restaurant, anywhere you went, you know, fans showed you so much love, and they still show me love. And I'm so appreciative of my time at, during playing for Chicago, and you know, my teammates and success we had because I wouldn't take it back for anything in the world. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. So, DeMar DeRozan recently mentioned, like, him being on the Bulls compared to him coming in as a visiting players, a player. Like, the vibe wearing that uniform, stepping onto the United Center court is completely – he felt it completely different. Like, the pressure was completely different for him uh, playing the game. Uh, did you kind of feel that same way as compared to like for playing for other teams? Like when you come into playing for the Bulls, knowing the history of the Bulls, like does that does, does that add anything for you? Well, for me, no. Maybe Demar Derozan, not me. I knew I wasn't gonna be able to scratch the surface of Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen. So I was like, hey, you know, all I got to do is play as hard as I possibly can in every possession. If I do that, things will take care of themselves. Uh, I thought it was very ironic and iconic that for whatever reason we were celebrating so many years of bulls championships. It's like, I felt like every other month it was like a, uh, celebration of every championship. So I was able to meet, you know, Michael Jordan. I, I, I know Scotty Pippen cause he's from Arkansas as well. Um, and you know, Dennis Robin, all those guys, Tony Ku coach, Steve Kerr, those guys be able to come back and, and get honored. Uh, was, was great, but it, I don't think it's any additional pressure. Now, was it nostalgic? Yes. Like playing at the United Center after seeing highlights of Jordan, you know, practicing at the Berto Center, um, where we used to practice at or, or playing in the, the United Center, um, or even when you're playing in the garden, like those are, or, or the old Staples Center. Like whenever you play on in those venues or the garden, uh, in Boston, whenever you play in those venues, like it's, it's, kind of like a field of dreams, but basketball wise, like these are iconic gyms that you've seen on TV, that you've seen all these highlights of all these great players um, perform on. And it's just a blessing to be able to go out there and be able to 
play at those places. But United Center for sure, especially like for me, it, it meant a lot because like just looking up in the rafters, like mm-hmm. you know, you, you you see you know Jerry Sloan's jerseys retired, and for me, like like I knew of Coach Sloan as a legendary coach. I didn't really know him as a basketball player until I had to go back and look at my like you know NBA history and see. He used to get to it. Like he, he was a really good basketball player. And for you to get your number retired in a storied organization like the Chicago Bulls meant a lot. And so for me, playing for him as a player and then playing on the team that that Coach Sloan's jersey retired and then Jordan and you know, Scotty being from Arkansas and, and the success he had, like you you had no other choice but to raise your game and raise the bar uh, on, on every time you step on the court to perform. Do you have a a favorite memory or game as a bull that sticks out to you the most? Just all the games I used to be able to throw lobs to D Rose. That was my favorite thing playing was, you know, a lot of people when I was coming out of college didn't know like I could handle the ball as well as I did or could pass the ball the way I could. Uh, I was more of like a point forward. I could play the one. Uh, at times, even in Utah, they were dribbling me out and I'd be able to get in the pick and roll or uh, initiate the offense um, and then trans- transition to Chicago that there'd be times where I get the rebound, I'd be able to push it in transition and I'm looking for, you know, Lou Alding or looking for D-Rose or Joe Keem running the floor or Booz running or, you know, Taj or, or whoever it is um, as drop-off. So my favorite moments were – being on the breakaway, be able to throw lob to D Rose. Um, uh, I, I did have a moment where I, I, I had a pretty nice dunk against Josh Roberts. Um, and that was like one of the first times, not the not the last times I saw D Rose pretty fired up and show some emotion. Uh, obviously, he's hit a lot of last second buzzer beaters that 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 season or the two seasons I was there. Those are awesome. Um, but just playing in the conference finals. You know, that's one step closest to the biggest stage in basketball, you know, of the highest stage. And so, you know, just being able to experience that, um, you know, those times were amazing. Yeah, you speak of the laps to D-Rose. I, I, I automatically remember the one when you threw to him against the Pistons. Yeah. Yeah. And he was literally hanging up in the air for a little bit, like – I remember completely losing it when he was up there and then he just threw it down with one hand. I was like, oh my God, this is cool. like, and then you guys were making a comeback that game too. Like you guys were behind a little yeah. bit and you came back and won. Yeah. So that, that was amazing. The thing about that and the funny thing about that is D Rose's juggle with this like, man, y'all be scared to throw me a lob. Y'all underthrow him. Y'all throw him like barely above the rim. Like, <laughs> So I'm, up there. I'm, I'm athletic enough to to be able to go up there and get it. So me, I'm like Theros. You know, I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw it regardless. Like, I, like I, I, if he was running the break, I'm throwing a lob regardless. And so that particular play, I threw it high, so he could have to go get it. Because honestly, I wanted him to say, "You threw it too high," and I'd be like, "Well, you told me you can go up there and go get it, so I put it up for you to go get it." But I kind of had to eat those words because he went up there and caught yeah. it. So, <laughs> yeah. So he was literally floating in the air for like a felt like a minute, and yeah. it was just like then came down and just hammered it. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. That was that was nuts. Um, 
this team, you talked about the relationship that you have with these players. Like you, you had relationships with Boozer and Corver before coming to Chicago. And we know that Bulls team was really tight knit. Like, mm-hmm. what's your relationship now with like some of the players who are on the team? Like, do y'all still keep in touch, or y'all still like, you know? Yeah, and we, we we do we do still keep in touch, man. It's, to me, it's crazy how the game of basketball could take you all over the world, but it could also build relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I talk to Booze all the time. Um, I'm I'm in a group thread with. Some of my teammates from Utah uh, that I talk to every day. Uh, I, you know, I st- stay in contact with guy like CJ Watson, and you know, it was my daughter's birthday uh, shoot yesterday. You know, Jimmy Butler, you know, met my daughter when she was itty bitty. We used to come to the, the, the Bulls games. Um, she's fourteen now, so uh, you know, she was itty bitty, and you know, him being able to meet my daughter and you know, wishing her a happy birthday and. Uh, talk to Joe Keem and Luau and uh, D Rose every once in a while, Kyle Corver every every once in a while. Um, but uh, it's just a small world what the game of basketball uh, can take you and, and who he can put you around. Um, there's a few guys that I haven't talked to um, that I, I would love to talk to. I don't talk to Amir Seek as much. Um, I do talk to Kurt Thomas every once in a while or Brian Scott Brady every once in a while. Um, but that's, that's, that's about it. I mean, you know, Mike James every once in a while, Pargo every once in a while. But, uh, you know, the game of basketball has been really good to a lot of people. And uh, the NBA, there's not a lot of people that's played in the NBA. I think it's a little All over right. 5,000 people. So it's it's a unique fraternity, and so you keep in touch with people when you, you know, you 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 become family because you're around them almost more than your family, um, and so you know we we, we keep in touch and, um, you know, continue to build relationships. What was it like? Like, did you 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 were you played with the Bulls for when Jimmy Butler was there for one season? Mm-hmm. Did you ever foresee Jimmy Butler? becoming who he is now from a player that kind of played sparse minutes as a rookie, but just a completely different player, a top 10 player has been to the NBA finals. Like, did you ever see anything in him as a rookie that kind of foreshadowed what he will become, will become? Absolutely. I mean, you got to look at, you got to look at some of the wings that were on, like Rip Hamilton was on the rings, Kyle Corr was on the wings, Lil Ding, myself, mm-hmm. Jimmy, and Adrian Griffin was our coach. Like we played one on ones all the time, and sometimes D Rose would jump in them. Sometimes C. Watson, but you know that was that's like an iron sharpening iron. Like Lou, I was an all star. I thought I was a really really good defender, and you mix Jimmy and both those. Like he's getting the best of both worlds of knowledge from you know NBA vets, but he's also putting his style on on the game, and. Like to say, do you think he's going to be good? Yeah, you, there's not like people got to get out the the mindset that there's every person in the NBA is really really good. Like you didn't get to the NBA by, by luck or by chance. Like you were really really good somewhere, or somebody saw you busting somebody's ass somewhere, and was like, yo, we got to get him in the league. Like Jimmy is a really good basketball player, so like to see him the stuff he does now, it's like I mean you, you can see that then he's gotten bigger, stronger. His confidence is a lot higher, 
And you can see it as you can see that in his game right now. So let's say how how has your transition been since obviously you played AE seasons in mm-hmm. the NBA and then that first season after you're not in the league anymore? How was that transition for you? Because obviously you stayed involved mm-hmm. in basketball since that time to now. Um, obviously, with your new position as recruiting coordinator for Arkansas, um, like how how did how is how has that build up been for you? Like especially that first yeah, year. Yeah, well, right? that first year you're you're kind of you're kind of waiting. Yeah. Like, yeah, am I gonna get a call from somebody? Like, you're, I'm staying ready, so I don't have to get ready. I'm waiting for a call up uh, from somebody, you don't get it. So it's like, man, well, I, I guess my time with basketball is over and you always have the option like, Oh, do you want to go overseas? But if you've never been overseas and you're accustomed to playing the NBA, that's what you're accustomed to. Like if you, if you, if you're not accustomed to, to go overseas, that might not be an option for you. Like I chose to be like, you know, maybe, maybe they start life after basketball. Well then I, you know, I got my agent reached out. I was like, yo, they want you to go try it in the G, G league. And then I tried it and it wasn't really my thing. And, you know, it was that point, basically at that point, I was like, well, I, I got to start transitioning to life after basketball. So, um, my, one of my best friends who coached me when I was in junior high and high school, Brad Stamps got the head coaching job at Fayetteville High School. And so, you know, he asked me, he was like, Hey, I've, I've got two spots opening, um, this next school year. I want to hire, uh, Nick Bradford, who played at University of Kansas, who's one of my mentors, and then you. And so that situation for me was the best situation because I was at my alma mater. I was coaching basketball, teaching, you know, public speaking and communication. Uh, I was right across the street from the University of Arkansas because the school is right across the street. I'm still able to go to all the Razorback football, basketball, track, baseball events. Um, and I, th- I thought, like, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing um, over a long period of time. Uh, I, I got into coaching AU basketball uh, at the EYBO level, um, the Woods Elite. And um, I just thought that was what I was going to be doing. I got offered to, to do a ra- uh, have a radio job here for ESPN Radio. Started doing that for a while. Really enjoyed that. Um, and I thought that's what I was going to be doing, AU basketball, coaching um, high school basketball, teaching high school, um, and, and uh, doing this ESPN radio show. And I would joke and talk every day about, like, hey, would you ever want to coach for an NBA team or for an NBA team? I'm like, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. Like, the NBA level is like the mountaintop of of of, of your profession. Like, everybody would want to play a coach in the NBA, just like everybody would want to play in the NBA. So that's 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 a debate that doesn't need to be talked about is, you know, would a former player want to work in the NBA? Yes, every f- former player would love to add some facet. Well, I get we're we're leaving Peace Jam in Augusta, Georgia, and my my coach FaceTimes me and was like, "Hey, what are you doing?" I was like, "Well, I'm about to get in the van and we lost. We're about to drive back. I'm kind of pissed off." And he's like, "Man." I was like, what's wrong with you, dude? What's like, what are you, what's wrong with you? And he's like, man, I don't know how to say this, but like, I really enjoyed, um, you on my staff. And I was like, well, what do you mean by, uh, you enjoyed me on your staff? Like, am I fired? Like, what do I do? He's like, no, but you know, you're about to get a, a job off from the University of Arkansas. And I was like, how you know? And like, he, he kind of, 
twist the Zoom call or the FaceTime, and Coach Muss was like, "Hey, you know, Coach, Tim, I invited Coach Tams to practice, um, and he is uh, want to be the first one to tell you because I asked him if it was okay if I pursued you." Um, like, would you accept? And I was like, yeah, we literally talk every day about what job would you take or leave here? And I was like, well, the only job I would take, obviously it would, would be an NBA job, but would be, uh, at the university of Arkansas. I was like, he's my alma mater. My dad played here. My mom went to school and played basketball. My sister ran track was an all American here. So we for sure have family ties here. Um, I grew up here. Um, and I'm here now. <laughs> so what's it been like working with all of the like younger players who come into Arkansas? Like the team has been really good. Like uh, the, the talent level has just increased significantly over time at the school. So yeah. what's your impact on these younger players been and how have you been able to prepare them in any way for the next level? So one of the things, one of our spills that I like to like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like to give facts or statistics or anything like that. I, I, I just like to keep it real with everybody. I, I don't, I don't sugarcoat anything. And I, I tell them this, like when I was a basketball player, I wanted to be around the best basketball players because I felt like iron sharpens iron. Like if I see what they're working on and what they're improving on every day, if I go just as hard and work on that stuff, it's, it's, I have to get better. There's, there, I'm not going to get worse. I'm not going to take a step back. I'm only going to get better because iron sharpens iron and they're working on their craft. I'm working on my craft. This is the same thing in my position now. I knew coming to Arkansas, I could learn so much from Coach Eric Musselman. He's been a head coach of the NBA. He's been assistant coach all over, like in all the ranks, NBA, college. He's head coach overseas in the G League. He's, he's had so much experience. You know, his dad was a head coach in the NBA. Then I knew that if I could just be a sponge, I can get all the knowledge that he has and take that and apply that to my everyday walk of life of how to be a better person every day as a basketball coach. I knew that. And then that we get Keith Smart, you know, famous for the last second shot at Indiana. He's been a head coach in the NBA multiple places. Now, I just said that we've got two coaches on staff here at Arkansas that have been head coaches in the NBA. So I tell the kids, why listen to me? Like, <laughs> I can tell you how to get to the NBA and stay in the NBA for eight years. It's not an opinion. It's what I did. But who else has a staff that has two former NBA head coaches on staff that you can walk upstairs and pick their brain about anything on how to get to the next level, how to stay in the next level, what to work on your game, the, the mental capacity, what, what to expect on and off the floor, what people are looking from at the front office standpoint, like no disrespect to other coaches, but they, they can tell you on, I think this is how it's done. Or I think this is what they're supposed to do. Cause only a few college coaches are coaching the NBA. And, and only a few has lasted a long time or been multiple head coaches in the NBA. So um, the knowledge I give these kids is, you know, if you're trying to get to the next level, you know, I, I, I can help you get there. Um, if you have goals and aspirations to get to the NBA, because not only did I do it and I can give you the ins and outs and, and, and what it takes to be a true pro, but I, I've got two guys that are my mentors. That I look up to every day that, 
were the head coaches and on staffs of multiple NBA teams throughout their career. So it's been like, I would say maybe roughly nine years since you've been out of the league. Uh, what are your thoughts on the style of the changing style of play? Like even in that nine years, it's been a pretty yeah. big flip and how the, the game is played and a lot of uh, position wise, you're seeing a lot more yeah. small ball stuff. Uh, players that are like you would probably be a four yeah. in today's league, to be honest. Like, if you think about it, like, what are your thoughts on how the Well, to me, I, like, you have to, you know, tip your hat to like the skilled players in today's league. Like, Steph Curry changed the game of basketball, Clay Thompson changed the game of basketball. I mean, I saw the game where he scored like over what 50 points, he only had nine dribbles. That's unheard of. <laughs> Right. Like Kevin Durant being seven feet in the, the pity pad he got, the 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 range he's got, the like his o- offensive package is, is is crazy. The package that uh, offensive package that James Harden has is crazy. Dame Lillard, um I mean you can go Luka Doncic, you can go you know, Greek Freak, you can go on and on. Like, you know, when Greek Freak came in there, people were like, Oh, I don't know if he's gonna pan out, I don't know if he's gonna pan out. Like he's one of the most versatile players of all time. You know, put on muscle. He's getting confident about his jump shot. He's a like he defends one through five, can play one through five. Like the game is going in the right direction, um, because now, like the stigma that people, oh, oh you're you're a taller than six seven six eight, you got to go get in the post. Well, no, what if I want to handle the basketball? What if I want to get out the glass and push it? So the people who are more switch army knives that are multifaceted are guys that are really staying in the league for a long time. You're not just a catch and shoot guy. You're not just a uh, uh, set the table playing guard. You're not just a post. You're back to the basket five. It's more pick and pop fives. It's more fives I can shot they can put on the floor. It's guys who can do DHOs or reverse. DHOs, um, guys that are point guards who can, who can score 25 or more points a game. So I, I, I love where the game is at now. Um, you still have some tough guys in there. Um, I just think the media has got to lay off the guys of, of, of who they, who they are, because if you take Draymond Green and, and you put him in the league, you know, 15 years ago, he's going to fit right in like a glove. Mm. He's going to be physical. He's going to be talking crap. He, he's, he's going to, you know, be able to to be versatile um, and do ex- everything that he's doing now back in the, the, the game 15 years ago, or you say 20 or 25 or 30. Um, it, it sends the message to players that, that are young that you got to get in your bag and work on your craft, perfect something, build on that, and then go to the next thing and continue to do that. I also love to get your thoughts on the player development because how much do you think that's changed over the time since you were in the league to modern day? Because there's obviously teams that have a lot more uh, tools in their bag as far as the, I mean, the G League has gotten uh, bigger uh, and more teams are using the G League more for as far as uh, searching for prospects and then developing prospects. And then on top of that, obviously, teams are expanding their player development departments. Like, how, how different do you think it is? Is it better now, or you think? Or it just, like, what are the differences? Do you I think it's see? better um, because you, you are not looking for one specific thing. Like, I remember back then, like, Dwight, when Dwight Howard was in the league, you were like, or Shaq was in the league, you are like, 
who can we get to match up with these guys? They don't have to be very, very skill set, but we need a guy that can get in there and, and bang for buck with them. Like not just let them score at will, not just turn around and dunk over them. So um, you had to get a, a, a big bruiser guy to, to keep them out there and, they had to be able to play too. Um, and, you know, you had a power four that they didn't necessarily want you to pop out and shoot threes, but, you know, if you did, that was a bonus. Um, and then your twos and threes were super athletic. Your ones was set the table guys, but if they could score, that's a bonus. Now your one is some of the leading scores, you know, Lucas six, 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 seven, close to six, eight. Um, your twos and threes are, are super, super skilled. You're, fours and fives are stepping out knocking down mid-range and stepping out knocking down threes so you know where the game is at now it's way better I, I think the front office like they've got to come up with their own identity because a lot of people are trying to build their teams around like what the Warriors are doing and it's only like one Warriors there's there's right. the way that they play the game with such a high basketball IQ the ball barely hits the floor. There's not a lot of ISO basketball. They're passing, cutting, and moving out of basketball. But not only they're doing that on the offensive end, they're defending their butt off on the defensive end. And it starts with Draymond because he talks and communicates at a high level, and everybody respects him conducting traffic because of of how good of a defender he is. So the front office is, I think, doing through doing a pretty good job. But it's so many good basketball players around the world and, and young people um, that, um, you know, it's it's really, really, really um, awesome to see where the game is going. What did you think about how the Bulls looked last season? They were surprising for like the first half of the season. They were mm-hmm. at the top of the Eastern Conference. And, you know, trailed off a little bit, but the team looked good. They bounced back, got into the playoffs, and inspired a lot of hope in the fan base. So what did you think about the team uh, last season? How do you think they're going to do this season? I love the team last season. Um, It's more of a tip my cap to DeMar Rosen. I mean, everybody that wrote him off for dead, like, yo, that was dumb. Why are you going to the Bulls? Mm. To only come out and, 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 and prove all the naysayers wrong. And I love, I love that because there's so many people in so many different situations that people are telling them every day that you're not good enough or, or you did the wrong, you made the wrong decision or you should have done this. Or if I would have done it, I would have done it this way. And all he did every single day was came to work, kill people with the mid range, put the team on his back. And if, and if, if the bulls would have been healthy all year, they would have they would have made a lot more noise, but it, like it was it was so tough to you'd have one guy out and then you get him back and have another guy out and then get him back and then him have him out. Like it's gonna be very exciting to see this team with such a young core, um, with veterans like Demar Derozan. You you got Ball, you got so many other guys that will step up and um, contribute. Um, that you know. They're they're really really good. You got some athleticism on the wings. You got some bigs that 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 are skilled. You got some young guards that you can develop and make them get better. So like in, in Levine is you know out of this world. I've been a huge fan of his, but um, I, I think that they're for sure going to be deep. And, and the thing that people don't really pay attention to is they get along with each other and they don't bicker. They and that goes a long way that they enjoy playing with each other and they enjoy seeing each other's success. You can tell by 
when DeMar DeRozan was hitting those game winners, the reaction of the guys on the bench and the guys on the floor, how they embraced him after those after those moments. What are your thoughts on Patrick Williams? Because a lot of coming into this offseason, uh, there's a lot of conversation about should the Bulls trade him because he's young and he's not ready to help them win and maybe they can upgrade their roster for a win-now move. Um, obviously, he has a great offseason, in, in particular working with DeMar DeRozan. He goes to like the DeMar DeRozan boot camp type of workout where he gets learns a lot in that uh, moment with DeMar. Um, and he's been kind of making the rounds, working with the right people like Paul George he's worked with. Um, and then on his own, he's doing different various things like learning, uh, you know, cre- being able to uh, handle the ball better and working on his shot, the release, quicker release. So what are your feelings on him? Like, what do you see him being able to become maybe in this league one? Well, one thing you have to do in the NBA, and I know the fan bases don't want to, and sometimes front office doesn't want to, but you have to have some patience. You have to be patient. And, you know, some people say, oh, he didn't do it in year one. He didn't do it in year two. Like, be patient. Like, be, be patient. Like, in football, like, you get almost a lifetime to be a backup quarterback, and then when you get your change, you have to be – you know, be ready for that moment. You got to be patient with them. And as long as you're seeing strides and improvements, like you, 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 you stick behind the kid. Um, he's going to get better because he has the mindset that he wants to get better. He's not listening to everybody saying that he's not good or he needs to be traded. He's taking the initiative of saying, Hey, I want to be the better, the best version of Patrick Williams. So I'm going to work with these people to become that best version. And if that's not an uh, incentive in itself to fans at front office to help on, maybe we should be patient with this kid, then I don't know what to tell you. And then think about the front office, like give it, throw him the bone, throw him a bone, let him, let him play, see how he does. If he doesn't do well, then you trade him. But I, I, I would give him a chance and be patient with him and let him develop. And, and, and that's what the NBA is about. Like we keep on drafting kids younger and younger and younger, give them time to mature, develop, by the right coaches in your system and then allow them to thrive and have a long career. Um, Would you also say maybe like learning how to work in the off season as part of development too, because sometimes when you're going through like high school and then college, the hard, like the, how hard you work then is different than how hard you have to work once you're in the NBA. And especially when you're not around that foundation, like luckily, He's around a guy like DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, who are known as being these high level, you know, this elite um, off-season workouts. Um, do you think that's part of the development too, learning that this is how I need to work out in the off-season? Um, I, I feel like every athlete at one point or another in their life has worked hard, but it's a different level of how hard you work when you get to the NBA because you start seeing other people's workouts. Like he's probably accustomed to working out a certain way and was probably like, Hey, this is, I know what I'm doing because obviously it got me to where I'm at playing for the Chicago Bulls. But when you see a a guy like Zach Levine or you see DeMar Rosen and the way that they're working out and their approach to the game, it's a wake-up call to you saying, Oh man, I'm not even scratching the surface. So, um, Again, you just got to be patient with him, and obviously he's he's buying into that work, and you just got to see if it's going to translate to the regular season. I'm curious as a as a rookie, did you 
Did you ever have a welcome to the NBA moment where it was just like, you know, you already knew you were in the league and, you know, you, you're drafted, you signed your contract, you got your jersey on, you're playing in front of him. But you did you ever have that moment where it was just like, yeah, I'm really in the NBA now where like you're guarding a player that you looked up to or. Yeah, um, it was kind of crazy. My Our first game, our first regular season game was against the Houston Rockets versus Yao Ming and Trace McGrady. Skip to my Lou. <clears throat> And so I, I remember coming, like when I was in high school, um, playing at the Disney Sports Complex in Orlando. Um, you know, T Max playing for Orlando, Mike Miller playing for Orlando, um, and Billy Donovan's at my game to watch me play because Florida was recruiting me. So uh, I remember going over to Trace McGrady and Mike Miller and having them sign a you know, piece of paper, and I, I had it like pinned up in my room as a kid. Um, and I was like, man, one day I want to, you know, I, I used to wear T-Max because, you know, up here, Arkansas was Adidas um, at that time. It's like, I'm a, I'm wearing T-Max. I'm going to be like T-Max. And I was saying that. And then as I got older and more mature, I'm like, it kind of was water under the bridge. I didn't want to be like anybody else. I was like, I don't want to be like anybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm me. But our, my first game, getting into a game, the coach was like, "Yo, you're going in for uh, AK-47." I was like, oh, "Okay." He said, "The three. I'm, I'm, I usually play the two. He was like, "They're interchangeable. It's the same thing. You can play the one, two, three, and four at this level. Um, you got T Mac." I was like, "T Mac, like, <laughs> yeah, <we're gonna laughs> bitch, let's switch. Like, I, let me go to two. You got the three. <laughs> now nah, you got T Mac." Um, and so. I told him stories like, man, I used to have your autograph was in high school. He looked at me like, man, shut the hell up, kid. He didn't say that, but he just looked at me like, what are you talking about? But uh, I remember playing the passing lane, getting a steal, and getting my first points for a dunk. And I was like, oh, man, like I can do this a lot. Um, but uh, it's kind of my welcome moment because I think the next play, Yao Ming like, said, uh, was getting a cross screen, and I was supposed to bump. And he kind of like walked through me and I was like, he didn't even try to like go around me. He just went through me. Like they didn't call a foul or anything. And I was just like in the first row, I was like, the dude is a big dude. Like to, to try to guard and try to grab the kids. So. <laughs> Ronnie, thank you so much. This has been a blast. We really appreciate it talking to you. Uh, is there anything that you want to like any final, uh, any final thoughts or any final words, anything you want to promote before we wrap up? Yeah, man. I, I know a lot of these, a lot of your listeners are Bulls fans, but, uh, you know, there's always extra room, uh, to be an Arkansas Razorback <laughs> fan. I, I, I know a lot of people like the line and that's cool too, but you know, we're going to be one of the teams to watch. You know, we have a great, great coach in Eric Musselman. We have a phenomenal program. We're a great product of basketball to watch. We play a great pace, great style, um, and we're on national TV a lot. So you see the Arkansas Razorbacks, man. Take a second to to, to tune in and support us a little bit because every supporter uh, means a lot to us, and we appreciate everybody who supports the Razorbacks. Yeah, the Bulls have 
they have a lot of good things coming out of Arkansas, not even just like uh, the university, but the state. I mean, yeah. you, Pippen, yeah, Bobby Portis was drafted by the ben, Bulls. Ben Gaffer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're, we're hitting. So there's something with yeah. the Bulls in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, got his, got his Arkansas-Chicago connection. So, But I, I just want to say I appreciate you guys for having me on. And I, and I, and I as much love to – you know, Bulls Nation, all the fans, they always show me love and show me respect no matter what I'm doing. And so always appreciative of them. And I'm always going to be loyal to the Bulls and, and their fan base. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you're, we're definitely, if you, you, you always played hard and we in Chicago, if you played hard, we'll love you forever. So for sure. Absolutely. We really appreciate Really appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you all as well. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Ronnie. Uh, Salim, any final thoughts before we wrap up, man? Yeah, just uh, again, thank you to Ronnie for joining us. Um, it was a really fun conversation. Uh, really uh, got a lot of great insight from him. So thank him for that. Um, but yeah, that's it, really. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the next, like, well, we're like, what, two months? Yeah. Two months away from the regular season. So season's coming up. that's creeping up. It's, yeah. it's going to be fun. Uh, my, uh, I think the first game is of the of the regular season for the Bulls is two days after my birthday. So nice, I'm hoping bro. they gave me a a late birthday present <laughs> uh, by getting that W against the Heat. Nice. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, that's that's all I got right now. But yeah, pre- again, appreciate Ronnie joining us. All right, man. Thank y'all, man. You have a good day. All you right, too. Ronnie. Thank you so all much. Right. All right. All right. All right, that wraps up today's Bulls Gold. As always, you can check out our past shows wherever you get your podcasts, on Apple, on Spotify. And you can always catch us right here on the Barroom Network. So for Salim Sudawala, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.